0: Genesis 38, Judah and Tamar tonight. I will read through it and we'll come back and see what the Lord has for us. So it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shuah. And he married her and went into her. and So she conceived and bore a son, called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. And he was a, uh, he was at Chezib when she bore him. And then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er. Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Then Judah said to Onan, "'Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother.' But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he made it on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also.' And then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep sheep shearers in Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And so she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him uh, as a wife. And when Judah saw her, he, he thought her, she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And then he turned in uh, by the way, turned in to her by the way, and said, Please let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And so she said, Well, what will you give me that, that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. And so she said, uh, I will, I, will you give me a pledge till you send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give you? And so she said, Your signet and the cord and your staff that is in your hand Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. And so she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend the Adulamite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he did not find her. Then he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is this harlot who is openly by the roadside? And they said, There is no harlot in this place. And so he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said, there's no harlot in that place. And then Judah said, let her take them for herself, then, lest we be ashamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And it came to pass, about three months after, that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out, and let her be burned. And when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, Well, by the man whom these things belong to, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose they are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And so Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. Now it came to pass at the time of giving birth that, behold, the twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put his hand out, And the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand and said, this one came out first. Well, then it happened. He drew back in his hand, and his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name is called Perez. And after his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread in his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So Judah and Tamar... um, Verses 1 through 5. So Judah leaves his brothers um, for a while. He goes to visit an Adulamite. Now, Adulam uh, means justice for the people. It was a royal Canaanite city and uh, in that territory that would eventually be given to Judah when he was inherited the land when Joshua brought him in and he parsed out the land for each of the tribes of Israel. Um, Hira... Is means a noble family, uh, well known uh, of nobility, and Shua means wealth, opulence, and nobility, and Judah marries Shua's daughter. Um, it doesn't say what her name is. This Canaanite woman doesn't doesn't say at all through this passage or ever that I know of in Scripture what her name is, um, and it seems there's a reason for that, and we'll see about that, but. Then there's Chezeb, a town four miles away from Adulam. And so Judah didn't really dwell in Adulam. But these were the guys he met. He was his friend, the Adulamite, Hira. And he comes from a noble family. And then here's Shua, his father-in-law, who is wealthy and lives in opulence. And so Judah's hanging out in this city of Adulam uh, with these uh, well-known rich guys, I guess. But um, Jacob now dwelt in Hebron, and that was about ten miles uh, to the south and up in the mountains a little bit, um, this town of uh, Lam was kind of as it gets down in the plains and starts heading over toward the Mediterranean Sea, and then this city of Timna. Anybody remember what Timna? Remember the story of uh, um, Samson and Delilah? Delilah was from Timna, and uh, so that's if you cross over the valley and start getting a little bit over to the mountains, but uh, up north and mostly do. East, no, due west of Jerusalem. So these are on the other side of the mountains. The Dead Sea is over here, and then there was Edom, and you remember Esau went on that side. Then there's the the Valley of Jordan and the Dead Sea, and then over the next mountains where Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron, all those cities are up in those mountains. This is kind of going down in the plain. Nothing important, just that's where they're going to to take their sheep, their shepherds, and uh, then they take their sheep up to shear them in Timnah as they go. And uh, Jacob dwelt in Hebron, again, about 10 miles the other way. And so in verses 6 through 11, the children of the Canaanite wife, it says, were wicked. Um, the word wicked, bad, evil, displeasing. And you've probably heard me say this before. There's different kinds of wicked in the Bible, uh, one being this sort of thing where it's just simply bad, evil, and displeasing to the Lord. And then there's a wickedness that is, um, what's the word? Uh, It just is beyond. They have to take as many people with them as they possibly can. It's that kind of wickedness. Um, And so this is the one that's not necessarily so bad, but bad enough. Whatever it was that Ur was wicked about, the Lord killed him. doesn't even say why. He just took him out. Um, It's not described, but Onan, his brother, his wickedness is described. He was supposed to raise up an heir to Judah, an heir to his brother Er, and carry on, and uh, he wouldn't, and uh, he he intentionally would not raise up an heir to his brother, wicked, and the Lord thought so, and Lord killed him. Now Judah now promises Tamar the the youngest of the three, and um, you know too young at this point to to take her as a wife, but he pledges uh, to. It promises to give um, Shelah his third son, but he neglects to keep his promise. And so Tamar goes back to her, her father's house. Uh, funny, we don't know his name either, and that's kind of plays into this because who's Tamar? Uh, Tamar is, uh, we don't know if she was a Canaanite. Um, Judah took a Canaanite wife. Uh, But it doesn't say if Tamar was a Canaanite or not. It doesn't say that Judah specifically, or I should say it does say, that Judah specifically chose her for his son Ur. And so that kind of points to the fact that maybe he knows, he, remember the Lord said, don't marry the people of the land because they're going to take you away to their false gods. We're going to come and dispossess these people. We're going to come and when we take possession of the land, the promised land, we're going to drive those people out so that you don't get drawn away into their false gods. But uh, so um, it's wide open. Was Tamar a Canaanite or not? And uh, either way, we'll see how she behaves and, and uh, looks at uh, her, her, you know, Judah's obligation to her to raise up an heir. And so Judah may have sought for a wife, for Ur from the Ishmaelites or the Edomites. They would have been the ones that would have been relatives, remember? Um, and that would have been not the Canaanites. And he may still have had respect for the Lord in these things. Judah knew. And even though he had married a Canaanite woman, he might have known that he wanted to raise up an heir with, um, with a non-Canaanite woman, I guess. God had established that they don't intermarry in all. But God knew that Ur and Onan and Shelah were not part of his plan um, for Judah's descendants to be part of the children of Israel. In verses 12 through 23, it says, Now the process of time, uh, Judah's wife dies. And um, he's comforted and he goes up to Timnah and shears sheep. So Judah's wife dies. He goes up with his old friend Hira, the Adulamite, to shear sheep at Timnah. Yeah, uh, he had promised Sheila to Tamar, but now Sheila's grown up, and Judah's forgetting all about it. Judah is not honoring his promise. It was important to her to Tamar to raise up this heir to Judah's uh, firstborn. And it seemed important uh, to Judah as well at first, and all, that uh, she would do that. Now she's very shrewd. She goes and she, you know, sits by the side of the road and all and and lays lays, uh, the whole bit out. He turns in thinking she's a harlot. You know, she didn't say a thing whether she was or not, but here he is. Well, this kind of fell into my lap. And so she uh, is very shrewd to say, well, what are you going to give me? Well, I don't have anything. Well, I'll give you a goat. Well, how do I know you're going to give me a goat? Well, here's my signet, here's the cord, and here's my staff. Now, um, he gives Tamar his signet with its cord and its staff. Um, It's funny, the word pledge or security is what's used here. In other words, like a security deposit. But that word here only shows up three times in scriptures and right here in this chapter. And it's very interesting because everybody else, I guess, had to pay up front. But this security thing, this pledge, you know, was given Um, so that, uh, you know, he would be able to go into her and and, uh, she would be uh, guaranteed eventually payment. So a seal, or a signet, I should say, is a seal. It's a a one-of-a-kind, as you can imagine. You guys are familiar with the wax, you know, when they would mail letters and the the guy who sent it would have a ring, and that was his ring. It had his signet on it. Nobody else had anything like it. So everybody knew it came from him and all, and if it was opened, then it was... um, You know, they knew it was tampered with. So it's one of a kind. You can't prove who you are without your signet. In other words, it's your identity, it's your ID. It's a one of a kind. And uh, now the cord is just the twined string or leather that you would uh, wrap around and tie around your wrist and forearm like a bracelet in order to hold the signet. Okay, and the staff is a branch or a rod, either for a shepherd, but also for a leader. And on it would be marked your identity, your tribe, who you're from. So Judah, I don't know what it would have been for Judah. It was either of his mark, um, but it would have been for Jacob, from the Israelites. It uh, would have been his identity. It, all these things were his identity, his own personal identity, who he is and where he's from, and he hands it over to her. And he basically gives away everything that identifies who he is and where he is from. If you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 6, 20 through 28, I mean, don't you find it just a little interesting? The guy would give away all that just so he could, you know, sleep with this harlot. Um, and it kind of points to the fact of how stupid guys can be <laughs> When something like that comes across their path. And I know it, it really is, uh, uh, you know, it's a temptation. How many times throughout Scripture that these things, you know, would happen. But Proverbs six twenty through 28, it says, My son, keep your father's command. Don't forsake the law of your mother. You know, the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother and, your, you know, live long. Um, well, there's a lot of truth to that. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. You know, hang on to the things that your parents gave you and uh, taught you. But more than that, for the commandment, now he's talking about the Lord teaching us, whether or not we had the kind of parents that taught us what we were supposed to know or not. No excuse, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, that's the first thing, that all the law, and the, you know, isn't that something? To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let your, her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her will not be innocent. You know, and that's the uh, you know, the people do not despise a thief, okay, that's the next one. But so it's, it's really, um, it's a wisdom, but it's a hard thing. Which means you need all the more wisdom. You know, because desires, you know, when you're really, really tempted, you need real wisdom in these things. Now, we all have strong desires. And it's going to take wisdom and to avoid self-destruction. And again, wisdom's not just smart ideas in your head. Wisdom is you have to practice it. It is not a noun. Wisdom is a verb. Just like faith. Faith is not a noun. I got faith. No. Let me see your faith. It's an action. It's, it's who you are and how you live. Same with wisdom. It's who you are and how you live, what you're going to do with the things you know in your head. And if it's acted out, then it's wisdom. If not, just head knowledge. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you cannot sin without consequences. You can't do this and not... Put, what does he say? The simplest thing. You can't put coals in your lap and not get burned. You can't walk on coals. I don't care if you're from Hawaii doing some you know, hula dance on the coals. like they, I don't know what that is. But anyway, you're going to get burned. Uh, it's going to sear your feet. And so uh, they, the simple wisdom of this, you cannot sin without consequences. You have to know that you're going to get burned. That's wisdom. Temptation is strong. Our flesh pulls on us all the time. And this is the example of the guys, the gals. You have your own things that you've got to deal with. and all. So it's, it's a um, you know, simple wisdom, and yet you have to practice it. You have to walk into it. But Judah goes into her, and she conceives. Now, remember, what's the question? Who is able to open or close a womb? Only God, right? Ur was evil. God killed him and we don't know what his evil was, but it seems like he may have never taken uh, you know, Tamar to be his wife uh, because the next thing is Onan refuses and you know uh, basically resists what he was supposed to do, and he refused and, and intentionally, and so God kills him. Uh, this wickedness that's being talked about, this evil that's being talked about, appears to have to do with raising up an heir to Judah. Um, you know, so Tamar knows all these things are supposed to go, uh, how things are supposed to go with descendants, how things are supposed to go with those uh, raising up a thing, an inheritance, a, a, a child to Judah, because he's of the family of his forefathers. And his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob being Israel, Judah being one of the 12 sons of Israel, this was important to her. She knows these things. Um, whether or not, uh, again, she was a Canaanite or not, she takes this seriously. It's not just a selfish thing that she's looking for uh, to, be, to have this happen. It's uh, you know something where, the, where she under, understands and respects what the Lord, Lord has promised, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his promises and blessings. Maybe Judah forgot about her, but God did not, right? This is important to God. God knows the end from the beginning, and he knows in between all the stuff that needs to take place in order to bring about his plan of redemption for mankind, all the way to the point where Jesus comes. Turn to Deuteronomy 25. This is in the law of Israel. It's important to the Lord. We knew how important it was that Abraham... You know, take a wife for Isaac from his family and for Isaac uh, to tell Jacob, go to my family, take a wife. It's real important to the Lord that there's descendants and that the tribes carry on. Uh, Verses just 5 through 10, it says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, well, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to, his, uh, succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Whose name are we talking about here? Judah. You know, he's one of the twelve tribes of Israel. You know, And if a man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up the name to his brother in Israel. If he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I don't want to talk, uh, take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandals from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. You know, this is serious. Um, And before all the elders, and, and, you know, it's not going to be something anybody wants to do. The law had not been given at the time of Tamar and Judah, but the principle of being fruitful and multiplying was, and even more in keeping so the line of Judah from being blotted out. All the sons of Jacob were to bring descendants of Israel. All the twelve tribes of Israel are holy to the Lord and even to the millennium, right? The city of God with the twelve gates and the twelve names written on them, Revelation 21.12. The Lord is faithful to Tamar who honored the Lord to give Judah descendants. And he was also faithful to another woman named Naomi, if you want to turn to the book of Ruth. Chapter 2, 1 through 12, Naomi lost Elimelech, her husband, and her two sons were married, but both her sons died, and the one was married to Ruth. And so she returns to Bethlehem in sorrow because she had no children to raise up an heir to her husband in Israel, like we just read. One of her daughters-in-law was Ruth, the Moabitess, but she did not want to return to her own country and instead committed herself to Naomi and said this, you know, your people are my people. Your God shall be my God, and wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. In other words, she's committed to her for life. Now, if you pick it up in chapter 2, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of family of Abim, uh, Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean Heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor, being that relative that we read about in Deuteronomy 25. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. That's how the relationship he had with his workers, that's a little bit of a wisdom for any of employers. Um, then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, is, uh, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And so she came and and." has continued from morning until now though she rested a little in the house and then boaz said to ruth you will listen my daughter you will you not do not go to glean in another field nor go from here but stay close by my young women and let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them have i not commanded the young men not to touch you and when you are thirsty go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn and so she fell on her face and bowed to the ground and said to him why have i found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since i am a foreigner and boaz answered and said to her it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have not come to a people whom you did and have come to a people whom you did not know before the lord repay your work and full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz wanted to take care of the widows in his family, Naomi, and also her daughter-in-law Ruth, and so he sets her up and, and makes sure everybody in his employ is looking out for her and watching after her, and you know the gleanings you know the employees would take all of the 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 field, but the Lord had set it up so that you'd leave some at the corners and leave some at the edge and don't be so thorough that you don't leave anything behind for those that need it. You know, and it's also another good bit of wisdom for us and how we do things. You know, you want to be greedy after every last red cent or do you want to just maybe not care what's in your pocket and give it to the person that, you know, the next person that you run into? However, you want to look at it. But it's a, it's a wisdom from the Lord to leave behind. Uh, something for, for others to glean from. And um, so he wants to take care of her. Naomi sees this now. And then she says in the rest of the chapter, stay close to Boaz's people and in his fields and go to him and to glean. Now in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Even Naomi's now looking out for Ruth uh, for her just faithfulness and loyalty and commitment to her. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? This comes into play now. In fact, he is a winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And she says, you know, uh, clean, clean up, you know, put on some good clothes and go down to that threshing floor and do all that I, that I command. And verse 8 It happened at midnight, the man was startled, and turned himself, uh, and the woman was lying at his feet. And he said, "'Who are you?' And so she answered, "'I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative.' And he said, "'Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request.' For all the people of my own, my town know that you are a virtuous woman um, and now uh, this and now uh, do not fear, I will do for you all that you request for you are, for all the people of the town know you're a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative, however, there is a relative closer than I, so this is that order that he 's talking about in chapter in deuteronomy twenty five saying that uh, you know, he's, he's uh, not the closest relative. He's not the one next in line that he's going to be able to take, uh, take care of Ruth. And he knows that and he honors that. And so he says, stay this night and in the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to do uh, perform the duty for you, then I will perform it, the duty for you as the Lord lives Lie down until morning. Tomorrow you might get to spit in somebody's face. No. So anyway, so Ruth does stay there. And uh, again, this is the duty that was spoken in Deuteronomy. And it was the same thing that was honored by Tamar. And even before the law was given. And if you go to the next chapter, chapter 4, really the whole thing ties up the story here. Boaz went up to the gate, sat down there. Behold, the close relative of whom Boaz has spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, and sit down. And so he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. So they sat down, and he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab. She sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Abimelech, or Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. And if you will not redeem it, um, redeem it. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, "Well, I'll redeem it. And Boaz said, Oh, and by the way, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi... You must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Well, now the close relative said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it, my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, Concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything, a man took off his sandal gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel, just like we read. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And so he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was a and all that was Chileans and an me, mehalan from the hand of Naomi. Those were the husbands. Um, her sons, um, husbands of Ruth and the other one. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren, from his position at the gate, you are witnesses this day, and all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses, and the Lord make the women who is coming into your house like Rachel and like Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah, Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bought to, bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth, Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son, and the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, that, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Naomi took the child, laid, it, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is the son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And his genealogy, well, Tamar bore Perez, right? And Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, uh, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Solomon, Solomon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. It's important to the Lord that there is an uh, heir to carry on the, the inheritance, the descendants of the house of Israel in the tribes of Israel. Elimelech, you know, had land and inheritance in Israel as divided up and given by God through Joshua. And now his surviving brother would need to keep their obligation to Naomi to purchase the land because she couldn't maintain it and to provide for Naomi and take young Ruth as wife and raise up an inheritance. How important it was to God that Tamar would raise up an heir to to Judah, God knows the beginning from the end and all the stuff in between that needs to happen about redemption uh, of mankind. We got a little bit of time. This is going to be an exercise. What I mean by exercise is when you're done, you're going to be a little tired. And um if you turn to Matthew 1, there's, you know, I just I guess I don't know if I want to do this exercise. <laughs> Because what it is, is reading these names. But, you know, um, it's important at least to know the difference between the line of Joseph and the line of Mary. Um, both coming through. Well, let's, let's just read them. Uh, the book of Genealogy of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar made it in to the genealogy of Jesus. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram, Aminadab, Aminadab, Nashon, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz by Rahab, it's another story. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed, Jesse, Jesse begot David, David the king begot Solomon, keep track of this, Solomon by her who had been wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam, Abijah, Abijah, Eza, Eza, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Joram, Uzziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. After they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltiel. Shiltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud. And Abiud begot Eliakim. And Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok, Achim. Achim, Eliud. Eliud, Eleazar. Eleazar. Matan. Matan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph. The husband of Mary, whom Christ, uh, whom bore Jesus Christ, who is called the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David, this is interesting, are 14. All the generations from David to the captivity in Babylon is 14. And from the captivity in Babylon till Jesus Christ are 14 generations. You know, it's important um, because the Lord promised Eve, right? Through your seed, um, I will crush the enemy's head. And by crushing, took away the power of death. He raised from, rose from the dead, and will raise with him. Luke three is the other one, and uh, verses twenty three through thirty eight. And because uh, you know, again, I'm not big on scholars. I'm big on just letting the the word speak for itself. Mostly because I'm not a scholar, um, but. Uh, the difference is, if it's going back the other direction, starting with Jesus and who his parents are, um, and for, for uh, Joseph and all. But it says, Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, being as supposed the son of Joseph. In other words, um, this is going to be Mary's genealogy, but it's the genealogy uh, as supposed was Joseph, even though the other one was Joseph's. The reason we know it's not, like I said the scholars will say, is because it's a different line. Uh, The son of uh, uh, Joseph was the son of Heli. Matan, these are different. Levi, Melchi, these are not the same as the other one. Janna, son of Joseph. There might be overlaps in names, but they're not the same guys. Uh, Son of uh, Joseph was uh, Mattathiah. Son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of uh, Esli, the son of Nagei, the son of Maat, and the son of Mattiah, son of Samei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and the son of Neri. So it's a different Zerubbabel and a different Shiltiel. The son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kazam, the son of Elmodam, the son of Ur the son of Jose, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram the son of Mattai the son of Levi Simeon Judah Joseph the son of Jonan the son of El Eliakim the son of Meliel, the son of Menen the son of Metatai, the son of Nathan the son of David and you know before that then it goes back the same all the way back to Tamar all that to say this raising up a heir to the tribes of Israel. Both are from Boaz and Ruth. Both are from Judah and Tamar. Um, Judah may have forgotten Tamar, but God did not. God had his hand in all of this to keep his promise to redeem mankind through his son Jesus Christ. The seed promised to Eve and promised to Abraham that would bless all the families of the earth, even us Gentiles. And, um, you know, so Judah goes and sends Hira back to pay who he thought was just a harlot to collect his signet and she's gone. And it's funny how the locals say we don't have those kind around here. And that alone was probably enough of a, a shame but um, to that, to uh, to Judah but Judah tells Hira, well just forget about it, you know, she can keep them. You know, keep the goat, you know, keep and she can have these things. And it's funny because he has to now go and explain anybody who he's got a contract with that he put his signet on, anything that he signed is his staff. How's anybody going to know what belongs to him? Well, show us your staff so we know it's yours. Um, I lost it. You know, so it's, it's a shame already. He is ashamed. He wants to avoid shame by not telling anybody. But uh, it was a shame and uh, losing your signet, losing your identification, he has to go explain this to everybody, and then verses twenty-four through twenty-six, you know, um, they obviously she's pregnant and it starts to show. They tell on her, and he says, "Bring her here and burn her," like three three words, uh, just instant. Got to, you know, bring bring that anger. He probably was kind of wondering why his kids had died and kind of wondering what's going on with Tamar. He totally forgot about her. He's thinking, well, if I give Sheila to Tamar, she's going to, you know, whatever's going on there, he's going to be killed as well. Not knowing what really was going on in in Judah's mind about Tamar, but he didn't seem to regard her at all. Didn't didn't do what he was supposed to do. Didn't promise her. Going to um, Deuteronomy 22, it does say, In the law, again, this is uh, long after, the law came long after Judah and Tamar. But there is a consequence for harlotry, which is basically prostitution. 21 through 24, it says, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door. I guess there's a little backstory here that we need to talk about, you know, uh, they say the, uh, the laws of sexual morality back in 13, um, it had to do with adultery, it had to do with um, harlotry. But uh, if, uh, first of all, if a man takes a wife, let's just start there, and goes into her and he, and he detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman when I came to her and found she was not a virgin, then the father and the mother of the young, young woman shall bring out evidence of that she is to the elders of the city And all, and uh, they gave their daughter to this man. And so, you know, if he has a charge against her with shameful conduct, and he finds that she was not, then then there has to be evidence of that. And so, the elders of the city shall take the man and punish him if he's lying, if he's just wanting to get out of things, or uh, they will punish her. So in 21, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death with stones. Why? Because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in, his father's house, in her father's house, so you shall put away the evil from among you. If a man is found lying with a woman, married to a husband, this would be adultery, and then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. And... <clears throat> If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and the man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman because she did not cry out in the city and the man because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Both of them, the man and the woman. Go to John chapter 8. Let them be stoned. Judah Let her be says, let her be burned, quick to judge and Deuteronomy, rightly so if it's true, and quick to be condemned, and quick to be executed. In John chapter eight verses one through eleven. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Now, that's the context. This was a test. Uh, Jesus stooped down, though and wrote on the ground with his finger as, as though he did not hear them. I'm no, paying attention. I'm ignoring you guys. I'm going to write something. And so they continued asking him. He raised himself up and said to him, He who is without sin among you, let him throw that first stone at her. And again he stoops down and wrote on the ground. Now those that heard it, being convicted in their consciences, went one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, Jesus was left alone and the woman, with the woman standing in the midst. Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are your, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. We'll go and sin no more. First question is, Where's the guy? Didn't the law say, Take both of them and bring them? And uh, you know, Judah was quick to execute Tamar. You know, he's probably kind of looking for an excuse to maybe be done with this whole bit, and now there it is. And also, his part in not keeping his promise to her on giving her Shelah, his third son, to raise up an heir. And Genesis it said that she, in fact, out of Judah's own mouth, it says that she was more righteous than he for pursuing her right that was promised to her, you know. The last part of Genesis, if you want to go back, verses 27 through 30. Comes to pass in the time for giving birth, that behold the twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and the midwife took the scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, this one came out first. I guess maybe since Jacob and Esau, they had to keep track really close to make sure that they had it right. Remember Jacob... Uh, ended up with the birthright even though Esau was the firstborn and he was hanging on to his heel and all. But then it happened as he drew back his hand and his brother came out unexpectedly and she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore his name is called Perez. In other words, divided. And afterwards his brother came and who had the scarlet thread in his hand and his name was Zerah. God did not choose any of those sons of the Canaanite woman, not Ur or Onan or Shelah. God did, you know, he chose Tamar um, to conceive. Remember, who is it that allows and opens the womb? The Lord does. He chose Tamar to conceive and bring the heir to this tribe of Israel, to Judah. God did not choose Zerah, who got an arm out, and enough time for them to tie a string around it just to go back in. And then Perez ends up being the firstborn. He ends up being the heir. And as we saw with Ruth, the genealogies, and with Jesus, the genealogies, just like God chose Abraham, through the, whose seed would be the covenant for God's people, and then how God chose to raise up the Messiah of Israel to redeem all mankind to himself through that seed, through Abraham. And he has chosen us in Christ Jesus. You know, we are um, chosen in him. It says he chose us before the foundation of the world. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what has to take place. It's a comfort to me. You know, we're all just, we all got our factory defects. We're all born into sin, and we're sinners saved by grace saints and sinners we still are both saints and sinners but uh... and we have these factory defects we got each one of us has different things that's wrong with us and you know whether you want to admit it or not and whether or not you want to think about it or not But he chose us even leading up through all of our ancestors as a special priesthood to be building blocks in his house in the house of god um, Every individual believer, you know, he gave each of us a spiritual gift and callings and, and things to minister to one another, things to minister to our family, things to, to, to accomplish his purpose in, in the world, to draw people to himself. You know, each one of us he chose to bring glory to his name. And he chose each one of these steps along the way to bring Jesus to us. And through Joseph and through Mary and all their lineage, uh, because he kept his promise. Twelve gates in the city, the new city, the new Jerusalem, having the names of twelve tribes, and we were that close away from no Judah. But Tamar says, no, I'm going to raise up an heir to Judah. You know, this is what is supposed to be done. I've been hanging around Judah and his family long enough to know that this is a blessed family. This is a blessed a promise has been made to this family, and there needs to be heirs to Judah. And um, I guess that's all I got. You know, lessons from this story. Keep your word. Do what you say you're going to do, like Judah told Tamar, and he did. And then don't be quick to condemn and judge to, to condemnation. Uh, someone that, you know, lest Jesus starts writing in the sand and starts putting down something in writing that you maybe uh, have something to do with. Right? So, uh, it starts with grace and mercy and forgiveness. So, amen. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Again, I pray that whatever is of you would go deep and bear much fruit in all of us, and whatever is not of you would be forgotten, and that you would continue to uh, cause us to grow up in in what you've given us to do and who we're supposed to be in you, and, and just grow in the knowledge of grace. And knowing to be gracious uh, to one another and and forgiving, and so we just pray that you would again give us the power of your Holy Spirit to do all these things in our lives, in Jesus' name, Amen.